All right, this morning uh, we are continuing in our sermon series about the discipleship pathway, and we're going to come back to that in just a moment. But first, uh, we're going to run through uh, several different passages in the book of Acts that I think are going to lay the foundation for what we want to talk about this morning. So we begin in Acts chapter 4, beginning with verse 32. It says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, No one said that there was any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus, Joseph who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a neighbor of Cyprus, brought a field that had belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. We turn over to Acts chapter 9. And in Acts chapter 9, we we pick up verse 26, and this is telling the story of Saul, who has just had an encounter with Jesus and has given his life to Jesus. He has moved from being an enemy of Jesus to a follower of Jesus. We pick it up in verse 26. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them on how on the road he had seen the Lord and who had spoken to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. The next place I want us to look is Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11, beginning with verse 19. It says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who had come to Antioch, who spoke to the Hellenists or to the Gentiles, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and he saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch, and for a whole year they met, and the church taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. We flip across the page to chapter 13 and verse 2. It says, Now while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. We jump down to the bottom of that page to verse 43 of chapter 13. And it says, After meeting in the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. May God use His Word in our lives uh, this morning. 
We continue in our conversation, our, our series of messages, talking about this discipleship pathway. Uh, a month or so ago, we asked if you were to think about where you are in your spiritual journey, whether you are at the explore phase, the believe phase, the grow phase, or the share phase, I think there was part of that question a month or so ago that wasn't quite clear where you were. I hope that as we've been spending this time together that maybe you have a little bit of a, of a greater sense of where you are as you progress in your faith from that exploring phase of like, I don't know, I, I'm not sure, I don't know what to believe. And so these are some things that you do when you're on that exploring side. And then we talked about that believing side, that there comes a time in which you put the full weight of your life, the full weight of everything that you are on Him. Then we talked a couple weeks ago about growing uh, and different things that we can do to grow in our faith and different places in which we can serve. Uh, but this morning, we're going to move to this last phase, this phase that we call share. And in some ways, we, we call it share. We, we could also call it multiply because it is at this phase, it is at this phase that your faith impacts others. It's at this emphasis here that we talk about the fact that what God is doing in your life begins to have an impact on other people. In fact, that's part of why He has worked inside of your life, so that you can have impact on other people. But before we go any further, we need to talk about something really, really important. How many of you, we need to talk about Scrabble. Scrabble. Anybody played Scrabble this month? This month. Okay, Scrabble's not as big as it used to be. Anybody played Scrabble in the last year? Okay, cool. A couple people. There we go. A whole row back there. I wonder if they played at the same time uh, to, to, together. Uh, but just as a refresher course uh, on the game of Scrabble, it is this game where all of the letters have different scores to them, different numbers assigned to them. And so the goal of the game is to put the letters together as a word, and then you add up the numbers on the page. And so you try to get a good score. You try to get a score that's higher than, say, three. Uh, you, you, your goal is to try to get a, a score that maybe is in double digits. You know, you feel really, really good if you can get a word that has double digits in the page. But... If you have played Scrabble much at all, what you discover is that if you really, really, really want a high score, if you really want to, to ring the bell, so to speak, and there actually is no bell in Scrabble for those of you wondering, but if you really want a high score, then what you need to do is that you need to, you need to get one of the multipliers. One of the multipliers. There's different places on the board that say if you put a letter here, you get double that letter. There's other places on the board that says if you put a letter here, you get triple that letter. But those aren't the best ones. The best ones are, there's a place on the board that says if you put a letter here, you get double that entire word. And in just a couple of spots, there are places where it says if you put the letter here, you get triple that entire word. Now, you don't want to get three points and then multiply that times three, and you still didn't get to double digits. But the point is, there are people who get 30, 40, 50 points in a Scrabble game or Scrabble word. It's because they've hit a multiplier. Now, here's the thing. 
every once in a while, you and I, we get to be multipliers. Every once in a while, you and I get to be multipliers. So, for instance, somebody that you know has to move. They have to move from one house to another, and you have a truck, a trailer, and three different kinds of dollies. You are a multiplier in that moment. You're not just a little bit of help. You are a ton of help. As some of you remember when we have one of those seasons, one of those storms comes through, and we lose power for several days or, or, or several weeks. If, if you were to use your house generator, if you were to use your portable generator, and using that portable generator, you would move out into the driveway and you would set up a charging station for everybody in your neighborhood to come and to be able to recharge their phones. You would be a multiplier. If you are on a trivia team and, and you have not really been able to contribute a whole lot, but you're just there for the fun uh, and you kind of feel bad that you don't really know a lot of the answers to all of those things, but the final trivia round is the topic of hairstyles. And you've been doing hair for 20 years. You are a multiplier. You suddenly have these answers. And, and the reason why I bring this up is because I will tell you that an alive, healthy, growing church feeds multipliers. These multipliers. Not just little pieces, but the kind of people that because of what God has done in their life, they help other people grow. And what God has done in them begins to spread out to other people. A healthy, alive, growing church needs multipliers to effectively build up believers, bring hope and love to a community, and to reach people for Jesus. We need multipliers. This morning I want to look at one of the great multipliers that I know. And, and I don't just mean one of the great multipliers in the New Testament. I don't just mean one of the great multipliers of the early church or, or even the Bible. I, I mean one of the all-time, all-purpose, all-history multipliers that ever lived. And that's Barnabas. Barnabas. We're, we're, we're going to see Barnabas. And we, we just kind of read over some of those passages about Barnabas. Barnabas. And I hope that you noticed some of those things, but we're going to circle back and make sure that we really hear how mo Barnabas was a multiplier. Now, what's interesting about Barnabas is Barnabas doesn't have a title. He's not an apostle. At the beginning of the book of Acts, there's a great deal of emphasis on the apostles, the, the 12 guys that walked with Jesus and did the ministry, and, and their names show up in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Barnabas isn't one of those guys. In the middle of the passages that we looked at this morning, there's another place where the church decides we need deacons. We need some, some folks that will help us take care of some issues in the life of the church. And so the church chooses seven deacons. Barnabas isn't, isn't one of those guys. He, he's not one of the twelve. He's not one of the seven. Barnabas does not have any title. And in fact, Barnabas' name barely shows up other than the places that we read together this morning. 
If you were to do, you know, I don't know what you call it, but I would call it a bubble chart. And on the bubble chart, the more, name, the more times your name appears in Scripture, the bigger your bubble would be. You with me? It's a, it's a bubble chart. So if your name doesn't appear in Scripture a lot, you, you, you have a, a, a small bubble. Moses, David, those are big bubble people. Barnabas would be a small bubble people. There'd be so many more people whose names appear more often than Barnabas. But if you would do a second bubble chart, because you really like bubble charts now, and, and the bubble chart wouldn't be frequency of how often their name is involved, but the question would be how big of an impact and difference that they made. I, I, I will tell you that very few people's bubbles would be bigger than Barnabas's. In fact, hear me, there's a high likelihood that you and I aren't here today if it wasn't for Barnabas. We're, we're going to circle back in just a minute, but, but you need to know Barnabas is one of the people that said us kind of people should hear about Jesus small bubble in terms of how often he shows up, huge bubble in terms of the difference that he makes. You ready to dig in? Cool. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, so let's take a look at some things that we see about the influence that Barnabas has. Uh, the, the first thing that, that I would say to you is that influence comes from attitude and action. Influence comes from attitude and action. Well, one of the first things that, that you need to know about Barnabas is it's not his real name. It's not his real name. His real name is Joseph. Nothing wrong with Joseph, but that was not the name that anybody called him. It says his name was Joseph, but everybody called him Barnabas. Now, you ever wonder where people get their nicknames and why they have a certain nickname and why they didn't want to call him Joe where there are already three other Joes in his class? Well, why, why, why isn't he called Joe? Well, the thing is, he earned his nickname. Barnabas means son of encouragement. Son of encouragement. Now, I, I don't know, uh, you know what, what kind of nicknames that you've given out. I don't know what kind of nicknames that you've gotten. But this idea of being the son of encouragement says that you are the living, breathing embodiment of whatever it is that you've been declared the son of. Now, hear this. Barnabas' nickname was this guy is living, breathing encouragement. Man, what a word. Uh, what a word to describe somebody. Do you have somebody in your life that you would say, this guy is living, breathing encouragement? There was something about his character. There was something about the way he interacted with people. There was something about the way he carried himself. Something about the way he, he spoke. Something about the, the people that he talked to. That when he left, you're like, you know what? Man, I, I feel a lot better. I'm, I'm a lot more encouraged. But my head is held higher. Man, we, we, we could use a few more of those people in our life today, couldn't we? i, I got to be honest with you. 
Barnabas is, is, is one of my heroes. Not because I am the son of encouragement. I'm not even sure if I'm the grandson of encouragement. But I'd like to at least be the second cousin once removed of encouragement. I, I would like people to look at me and have some sense of I was encouraged. I was built up. I was refreshed. I could see the world cleaner. Because I was present or I engaged with her. Man, that, that would be my prayer for my life. And, and I, I would want it to be a prayer for your life as well. Let me tell you that anytime that you run into someone that says, man, that guy is living, breathing encouragement in the flesh, it's a good thing. But if you also just take a look back when we see this in Acts chapter 4 and we jump back about 10 or 15 verses, what we discover is that that church, that body of believers, that group of people were desperate for encouragement because they had just had the fist of the authority of the church and the nation waved in their face. And they said, if you speak of Jesus anymore, we will imprison you. We will harm you. And it says that they threaten them. Listen, we can talk tough sometimes, but uh, nobody likes being threatened. You know, we can talk tough, oh, it's not going to bother me. But there's at least a moment where in your head you go gulp, and it makes you shrink and pull back. Keep in mind, the people that were doing the threatening were the very same people that possibly only months earlier had executed Jesus. And so it is in that context that a guy named Joseph starts being called Barnabas because in that intimidated, frightened body of people, Barnabas showed up and he made them encouraged and stronger. And attitude has a huge impact on our influence. But it can't just be attitude. There's actually got to be something that we show for it. And we also see in the same passage here in Acts chapter 4, it tells us that there was a spirit of generosity that was growing in that church. It was a spirit of generosity that came from a spirit of compassion where they wanted to care for one another in some measure because I think because in that pressure and because of that intimidation, people were getting cut off from some of their normal Sources of sustenance. And while people are being generous, it tells us that Joseph, that Barnabas, had a piece of property. We, we don't know if it was on the water. We, we, we don't know if it had a camp on it, but it was a piece of property. And he sold that piece of property. And he brought it to the church and said, use this to care for people and to extend the kingdom. Now, property was a big deal back then. Property would have been what you handed down. It was part of an inheritance. It was your attachment to the land. It was the fact that you were a recipient of the promises of God. This was literally the promised land. He owned a sliver of the promised land. It's a big deal. He says, I'm supposed to release this because there's something bigger than my owning a sliver of the promised land. 
There's something that's more important than the, the financial value of this piece of property. I want to extend the kingdom of God. So it's attitude and action. In fact, Barnabas' gift is so influential that other people start to copy what he did. Listen to this. Barnabas was so influential, he made giving cool at his church. That's, that's tough to do. <laughs> but people looked at it and said, man, I want to do what he's doing. And they began to take some of their resources and rearrange their life and turn it over to God and say, listen, I don't want to own this anymore. I want you to own it. And this isn't just about property. This isn't just about... It's whatever resource that you have. To say, I want to rearrange my life and I want to hand it over to God. The second thing that I want you to see from, uh, from Barnabas' life is, is I, I want you to see that he believed God. He believed what God could do. And he took relationship risks. This is where we looked at in in Acts chapter 9, where we talked about this is when, when Saul has an encounter with the resurrected Jesus, and he moves from being an enemy of Jesus, an enemy of God, an enemy of the church, to becoming a follower of Jesus. Now you've got to understand that Saul had committed himself. Saul, we, we know him as Paul a little bit later in the, in, in the book, but, but he has committed himself saying, listen, I think this Jesus stuff is a bunch of hooey. I think this is false, and I want to wipe it out. I'm going to be on the side of the people who are intimidating and threatening the church. In fact, I'm going to make it my life's work that people stop talking about Jesus. And so Paul became one of the number one implements of intimidation and threat and harm and imprisonment, and in some cases even execution of followers of Jesus. So when Paul has an encounter with Jesus and he gives his life to Jesus, the next thing he does is he tries to go to church. Paul knocks on the door of the church and they run away. Paul has come to Damascus for the purpose of imprisoning and intimidating believers of Jesus and he tries to walk in the door and they're like, no, 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 not you. Because they are sure that he is just trying to infiltrate the church to get the names of everybody who is part of that church so he can do further harm. Nobody believes that he's actually had an encounter with Jesus. Nobody believes that this person who was an enemy of Jesus is now a follower of Jesus. You see, I think that there just was this thing in the back of people's minds. Oh, no, 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 that, that, that's more than what God could do. God couldn't really change Saul into a... I mean, he might be able to save me, but I don't think he could be able to save Saul. That guy's too far gone. He is too messed up. He, he has done too many wrong things. He is too set in his ways. God would never be able to change him. But Barnabas believed. Barnabas listened. And he believed. And he believed that God could change the life of anyone. He believed that God would change the life of anyone. God, he, he believed that God would invite anyone. And so when Paul says, no, 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 I'm a follower now. 
Barnabas stood up and said, I believe him. I believe him. And it tells us from that point on, it, the church received Paul. And instead of running from Paul, they received Paul. And two things happen. Paul becomes a profound minister of the gospel, but not before the church ministers to him. Paul had to work his way through his own discipleship pathway. And it's Barnabas that says, I believe him. I say we let him in. I say that we believe that God can do this kind of work. This must have been so deep inside of Barnabas because it tells us here in chapter 11 that when people were still running away from Saul and they were running away from the persecution that they had moved up the coast a little bit, they went to a place called Antioch and, and there were rumors about what was happening in Antioch. And the rumors were coming back to Jerusalem. And the rumors, let me translate them for, the, for you exactly, they were grumble, 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 grumble. Man, something weird's happening at that church. I don't, I don't trust what's going on at that church. There are people getting saved, and, and, and I think it's some of the wrong people getting saved. Because it, it was there at that church in Antioch that for the first time the church intentionally spoke to non-Jewish people. Most of us in the room today are non-Jewish people. And there was this word in Jerusalem that said, I don't know, that, 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 that's not our kind of people. That's not people who have our history. They don't have our traditions. They don't know our stuff. I don't know if they're really supposed to be part of the church. We don't trust those folks. So they sent Barnabas up to check. Is it true that the church is growing? Is it true that the church is, is ministering and reaching Gentile, non-Jewish people. Barnabas shows up and says, the church is growing. They are ministering to non-Jewish people. Gentiles are getting saved. Isn't this great? And it made his heart glad. And it was because of his word, it was because of his word that the church stopped grumbling and doubting and saying, well, maybe the church isn't really for those kinds of people. But it was because of his word that the church changed the way that they saw them. It's a huge, profound gift. I think that may be the biggest thing that Barnabas does. Is he sees what God is doing. And he embraces people and encourages people that are left out. Years ago, I asked my parents, uh, you know, I was probably in my 30s or something, and we were just sitting around the house, and I, and I asked them, hey, Mom and Dad, um, you know, I'm grown, married, got kids, um, pastor, you know, what, what's the biggest surprise about how I turned out compared to the kid who, you know, who, who had his own room on the corner over there? You know, what, what, what's the surprise of, of, of me as the adult versus me as the kid? And they didn't think very long. They said that you're a pastor. Really? They said, we just never really saw that. We just never really expected that you would be a pastor. 
I didn't fully know where to, to file that. But I'll tell you, when I was 20 years old, before I ever felt called to be a minister, one of my college classmates, Richard Jones, looked at me and said, you're going to be a pastor. You're, you're going to be a pastor. He was 6'7", 300 pounds, so I believed him. He, he was a big fella. He says, you're going to be a pastor. And there wasn't a time that I would see him on that campus where he wouldn't call me Pastor Moffat. Pastor Moffat. It hadn't happened yet. That call was not in my heart. I didn't understand that. My parents wouldn't have believed it. <laughs> but Richard Jones was the son of encouragement. He saw something. God used that word. Pastor friend of mine, Virgil Tillman, retired Navy chaplain, serving as a little country pastor. Somehow, I was already a pastor by then, but somehow he began to see me and treat me like I was a leader. I don't know why, but he saw something that was not yet true, and he spoke it like it was true. He spoke it like it was true. It helped me to open my eyes to possibilities. Listen, this is the influence, the opportunity that you have to be the kind of person who opens doors for spiritual growth, the kind of person who encourages people, the kind of person who tells people about what is possible in their lives rather than telling them about what's not possible in their lives. But to believe that God can do a great work inside of their lives. You can be the kind of person who believes that God can do great things and invest in those people. But one more thing that I want us to just see in, in Barnabas here, and that is that we see in Barnabas that ministry means that his name is bigger than my name. His name is bigger than my name. I used to be in band. Uh, I used to play the trumpet all the way through elementary school and middle school, a little bit of high school. And um, it's kind of a cool culture to be, be a part of, you know, to be a band geek and, and stuff like that. I, I, had, I had half of it. Um, so, um, you know, I, I liked several things about it. One of the things that I really liked about it was that there was this, uh, there was a status system inside of band. Uh, there, there, you, you would be ranked based on your ability. And there was this thing called first chair first chair. Whatever instrument there was, there, there was a person that was declared to be first chair. I like that. I, I like the idea that there was uh, this, this title, there was this honor, there was this recognition. I wanted to be first chair. I, I, I liked the idea that, that if, you wanted, if you weren't first chair and you wanted to be first chair, you could challenge that person in a, a musical showdown. <laughs> 
and you could become first chair. I like that because I am, as, as, as they say, a skosh competitive. So I, I like the idea of the title. I, I like the idea of the competition. The only thing that was missing from me was musical ability. But other than that, I, I should have been first chair for life. But there's something about that that I like. But when we look at Barnabas' life, one of the things that we recognize is that at the beginning of Barnabas's ministry, he was the senior partner. It was Barnabas and his assistant Paul. Barnabas and, 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 and Paul who's with him. And we didn't spend a lot of time on it in the text, but what happens as the, that text goes in just a couple of chapters, it goes from Barnabas and Paul to Paul and Barnabas. Now there's an old phrase in sports that says the name on the front of the shirt is more important than the name on the back of the shirt. The team is more important than you. Barnabas was able to cope with this shift of position from being the lead to being the support, and then even a little bit later to, to kind of being left out or, or going on a different path. Barnabas was able to do that because his name was more important than my name. The name on the front was more important than the name on the back. Some leadership slogan says you got to either lead, follow, or get out of the way. You ever heard that? Lead, follow, or get out of the way. You know what Barnabas did? He led, he followed, and on occasion, he got out of the way. Because in ministry, there are times that you need to lead. And in ministry, there are times that you need to follow. And there are times in ministry <laughs> that it's not about you. And spiritual maturity has the ability to do all three of those. Spiritual maturity says that when the situation calls for me to lead, I'll be up front. I'll be the thin edge of the wedge. I'll be the person who takes some of the, uh, takes some of the first shots. I'll take some of that friction. If that's what it's called, that's what I'll do. There are other times where I'm supposed to support somebody else. What can I do to make your life easier for you to lead in this place? And there are other places where I'm supposed to just get out of the way. Uh, this weekend, it's the uh, Discipleship Now weekend for youth. And what we tell Caleb when this time comes, you're the lead dog. We, we serve you. You tell us what you need. You need us to go get pizzas. You need us to go do something. We're here to support and encourage and, and do what you need because in this week, you're the lead and we're the support. You tell us. You want us to run sound? I wouldn't recommend it. But if you need us to run sound, we, we can try because you're the lead this week. And we follow in that place. Barnabas had the ability to lead when he needed to, to follow when he needed to. 
and step aside when he needed to. Now, that's not stuff we're born with. That's stuff that has to happen as we grow and develop spiritually. We, you, you can't do that when you're exploring. You can't do that even as you begin to believe. Even as you're growing, you're not there yet. But as you become a multiplier, you discover it's more about his name than your name. It's about the name on the front of the shirt, not the name on the back of the shirt. That spiritual maturity and that kind of spirit grows great, healthy, small groups. That kind of maturity grows great, healthy, strong ministry teams. That kind of spirit grows a great, strong, healthy church. As someone said to me this morning during Sunday school, I want to be that kind of church. I want to be that kind of church. I do too. Over the last several weeks, we've pointed out our, our little next step spots there. Well, there's a card for each one of these steps in the discipleship pathway. The one that we're on today is share where, where what God does in, in your life is multiplied in the lives of others. It's not just about you. It is so that you can make a difference in other people's lives. The card here uh, talks about a couple of different ways. Help others know Jesus. And the question that it asks is, who can you pray for? Who can you pray for? These are really the same things that we talked about with our hope box, if you remember. Who can I pray for? Who, who can I invite to church? Who can I tell about Jesus? That's sharing. That's multiplying. That, that's what God has done in your life, impacting someone else's life. Secondly, it talks about invest my resources. Become a giver. Become a regular giver. Become a proportionate giver. As God blesses you, that you increase your giving. Be an excited giver. Not with your teeth clenched, but like Barnabas, I want to do this. I believe in this. And that talks about our finances, but it speaks to every part of our lives. And then to multiply my gifts that we lead by serving. We lead by serving. That, that, that's, how, that's how you're a leader, is that you lead by serving, and you serve by leading. It, it's both pieces. I'm ready to lead by serving, and I'm ready to serve by leading. And then the last phrase there, and you all know this is very close to my heart. It says that I help make this church to be the healthiest and most welcoming place that it can be. Healthiest means that, that we honor God in the way that we do things, that we do the things that He would have us to do, and that this is a welcoming and safe place for every person that it can possibly be. And so I want you to be a leader. I want you to be one of those multiplying places that what God does inside of your life begins to make an impact on the lives of other people 
not to make this church great, but to make his name great. That's why we do that.